All right, uh, here we are uh, in Detroit. It's us, the Auto Week boys, and we're here uh, for episode number 45. I'm Rory Carroll. We got Wesley. We got Jake. We got Mike Prison. It's cold. And as a special treat, uh, treat especial for you, we have Stephen Cole Smith calling in from Florida, uh, hot on the heels of the roar before the 24 in Daytona. Stephen, how you doing? Doing good. I've never been called a treat before. That's uh, that's really nice. Oh, we, that's that's pretty much how we refer to you around here. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so you you're uh, like we said, uh, just back from the roar, um, and a uh, lot of lot of intrigue, a lot of uh, kind of unexpected performances from from Mazda. We had Fernando there. We had uh, Zanardi there. We had some some cool stuff happening. Um, what are what are we looking forward to? What should we be watching? And then uh, what are what should we be watching that we don't know we should be watching for? I guess it's a good. Well, what we'll be watching for is is basically what I'll be covering, and it's four or five prongs. One, it's the 50th anniversary of IMSA. It starts the 50th anniversary season. Uh, IMSA, of course, International Motorsports Association, the sanctioning body for uh, the WeatherTech series. So. Uh, so far, the one huge change is that the red IMSA logo is gold. Yep. Ooh. Uh, other, than, other, than, other than that, there's been absolutely nothing except uh, they're planning a lot of things as the year goes on as far as anniversary-type stuff. But uh, this is also interesting. This is also really the first uh, WeatherTech Series season. Of course, the uh, American Le Mans Series and Grand Am uh, merged in 2014, and since then it has been essentially a merger. They tried to do the best of both series. Now it's finally merged to the point where uh, there's very little American Le Mans left. There's a little bit of Grand Am left, but we've uh, we've got one complete series that I think uh, sports car racing is stronger in the U.S. than it's ever been. Uh, I was talking to Scott Atherton, the guy that runs, and he says he wouldn't trade places with any sanctioning body in the world right now, and I had to agree with him. I think uh, if there's any one uh, particular motorsport series that's on the upswing, it's IMSA. I think those yeah. guys are looking great. Uh, NASCAR is a little down. I think drag racing is flat. I think IndyCar is flat. Uh, but I think these guys are looking good. Uh, as you mentioned, we've got Alex Zanardi, who is sharing a car with three guys who have legs. Alex Zanardi, of course, lost his legs in a terrible crash in Germany in 2001 on the 9-11 weekend. Uh, he is so much fun to be around. I had a one-on-one with him for 30 minutes. Uh, me and Jenna Fryer both had 30-minute sessions, and I asked Jenna from AP, how hers went, and she said, well, you know, I was a little little tired, a little pissed off, a little annoyed that I had to come this weekend, but after talking to him, I felt so much better about just life in general and being here, and I agree. He's, he's got that effect on people. Uh, as you mentioned, Alonso's going to be here with the, the number 10 team, the uh, uh, Conic Minolta um, Cadillac, right. yeah. uh, but I tell you, everybody's a little Alonso'd out. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's after his first appearance in Indy, I started to, to get a little bit down on Alonso, not down, but just down on energy as it evolved to, because he's a lot of fun to be around. He's having a good time. Uh, he's doing what he wants to do, and you've got to respect that. Also, we've got an all-female team, Acura, which, uh, based on a really stupid performance by our Mercedes team, the Acura all-female team is actually on the pole for a, their 
pit selection and garage selection. They call it qualifying, but it's not really qualifying. It just qualifies for pit selection and garage selection. But the fact that Anna Beatrice beat out everybody else, I think it's pretty darn impressive. Uh, we've got Hyundai coming to the series for the first time. Uh, I'll be hanging out with those guys uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah, what else? We, we got Mazda, as you mentioned. Now, whether Mazda is as fast as they seem to be, and they did they were fastest in almost every session, both cars. Didn't they, they set a they record, showing, right? An unofficial yeah, are record? Are they showing all their cards, or are the other guys just sandbagging? Yeah. Uh, if you talk to the Mazda guys, they think some of the other guys are sandbagging, and they're not happy about it. I think this is a test. It costs uh, half a million dollars to bring the team down here for this, and they think that IMSA needs to maybe do a little bit more uh, as far as enforcing the idea that some of these guys are, are slow because they don't want any extra penalties thrown at them between now and the, the real actual qualifying, which comes, uh, you know, on the weekend of the race. Steven, when do the, when do the balance performance, uh, uh, rules come down? I mean, when do they get their, their marching orders? Uh, we don't know. It could be anywhere between now and then. Uh, but I'm guessing it'll be probably late this week if we hear any. And we probably will. It may not even be Mazda. It may not even be the prototype series. Uh, uh, it could be GT Daytona, GT Le Mans. It could be anything. But uh, Mazda seems pretty confident that they have a package that uh, is well within the parameters of what they should be. So, um, I think it's about 50-50. I, I can see them being slowed down a little bit, but I can also see other guys being sped up a little bit. Uh, we've got six Cadillacs in the show, and the way they do BOP is they don't balance performance on the slowest car. They balance performance on the fastest car, like the fastest Cadillac. If you can go this fast in a Cadillac, they assume that the other five guys can just speed up. They just Maybe they don't have the right setup. Maybe they don't have the right drivers. But they're not going to get BOP based on the fact that the slowest Cadillacs are slow. They would get BOP based on the fact that the fastest Cadillac still isn't as fast as they think it should be. But the um, fastest, but the fastest Cadillac, the fastest Acura, and that fastest Mazda, Steve, they were all within a you know just within about you know eight tenths of a second. So probably won't be much uh, change then. I hope not. Um, you know, IMSA has gotten really sophisticated. It's hard to do. Uh, sandbagging now they can you know you've got four or five drivers or three or four drivers at least per car uh you've got different models of cars and for sandbagging to work everybody has to sandbag at the same level and you really can't do that because they can check your time between turn two and three between turn two and five between five and seven somebody's going to screw up and go a little bit faster than they should and that is their indication that the car is really quicker than uh, than it's showing on the on the speed chart. So I don't think there's that much sandbagging going on, especially in the last couple of sessions. So coming coming out of the weekend, you have uh, obviously the the Cadillacs have been uh, historically um, dominant. We've expected more from Acura than we got last year. We expected more from Mazda than we got last year. I think, you know, coming into last season, you know, I was super excited to see uh, three cars in that class um, or three, three, at least three, yeah, models of car, three, three manufacturers who, who were going to be duking it out. And it didn't really um, come to fruition. And I think too, you know, th that whole DPI class was, 
was probably slowed down uh, a little bit to accommodate the uh, the uh, the P2 cars. Um, is this is this the year that we're gonna get what we want, or that we're gonna get what we wanted to get last year? Does it seem that way that uh, the gloves are off for these guys, and um, you know we're we're gonna see uh, a, a real competition between these three manufacturers? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Rory. That's uh, the P2 cars are no longer a factor. You know, as you mentioned, they would have it, they were having to change. Uh, you know, because the P2 cars are faster in some areas, slower in other areas than the uh, DPI cars. This year, they've slowed the P2 cars down by about two seconds. So they'll have their own little race within themselves. There'll be three or four of those cars uh, at the Roar, probably three, because unless something happened, uh, you, you had to run the Roar to be able to get into the, the uh, 24. Um, P2 cars, I think, by the end of this year will be gone. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll be off to historic racing, and we'll be back to three classes, which is what IMSA wants. Uh, but they just were tired of having to balance the performance of all the prototypes based on uh, the DPI versus P2 cars, which look exactly the same, but underneath they are quite a bit different. They do make power in different ways. Plus, the P2 cars have Gibson engines in them, and Gibson really isn't a manufacturer, so they're not paying IMSA the close to $1 million that they need to be part of the real team. Uh, neither is Nissan. There's, we've got Nissans in the class. Uh, the entire LMP3 class is powered by Nissan, but you don't see Nissan anywhere because Nissan has declined to ante up the, uh, uh, the, the money to be part of uh, formal part of IMSA's uh, racing. But, yeah, I think with a year under the belts of the Acura, of course, they've got a fantastic uh, driver lineup. Uh, the Mazdas, if you remember, at Petit Le Mans, they were second and third. They did podium, both of them, and they very nearly won. So I think those guys are ready. They made a lot of changes this year, a little bit in the drivers, but they brought over Brad Kettler from uh, Audi, and they've got 100 days out of Brad Kettler because and, and, Brad is having too much fun playing with his historic racing Audis. Uh, and I think he may be the key that really unlocks uh, the door to victory lane for Mazda. Uh, same thing with Nissan. They've got some fast cars. They could very easily win. Same thing with Cadillac. Same thing with Mazda. There's really no, really the only people that were slow in the entire thing, I think, were the BMWs that Zanardi was in and, and the other guys around. Those two BMWs seem like they need some BOP help if anybody does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and those, of course, are GT Lamont cars. They're not. They're not prototypes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so who? Like I said, that you said uh, that we kind of you know covered the the leaders or the the ones to watch. Who, who are the sleepers who uh, who no one's watching that that uh, could come out of nowhere? I know you mentioned Nissan. Um, wh- what are we seeing? You know, some teams that have a, a high level of confidence, despite maybe not doing what they should have done at, at the Roar? Well, you know, it's going to be a team performance. It's not going to be a car performance that much. Everybody is pretty close to being the same. And I never, ever bet against the number five and the number 31, the Action Express cars, because, and I've written about this for Auto Week, that Gary Nelson is the guy that runs the team, the former NASCAR um, crew chief for Dale Earnhardt, for, uh, you know, he's, he's – hired by NASCAR toward the end of his career to build the tech center. They hired him to catch cheaters because Gary Nelson was the biggest cheater they had right <laughs> then since Smokey Gunnick died. His, his race strategy is just so darn good 
the guys don't crash. It's a veteran lineup. You know, they got Barbosa, Mike Conway, Felipe Albuquerque, Christian Fittipaldi. Uh, and on the 31 car, Felipe Nasker, Pippo Durrani, who is one of the best drivers I've ever seen, and Eric Curran. Um, if I had to put money down, I don't bet against those two guys. Same thing with GTLM. I don't think the Corvette is the fastest car. They did qualify the fastest here because they drafted each other. So one Corvette was fast and one Corvette was slow. But I think those guys are just because of Doug Feehan's race strategy, uh, just people that you can never underestimate. Sure. Uh, that's GT Le Mans. That's the prototype GT Daytona. Man, it is wide open, Rory. I have no idea who's going to win that class. Awesome. So definitely something to watch. We're, we're coming up on our, our time here. we got a, a minute left. But um, I'm, I'm super excited. I'll be down at the Roar. I know we have – or not the Roar, at Daytona. The, we have a pile of guys going oh down. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. It'll be a posse uh, of us. Yeah, so, uh, you know – I. I agree with you. I think this is the hottest series in the world right now. The crowds are awesome. The The racing is great. I love seeing the participation from the manufacturers. So, um, And I'll tell you, the, the crowd at the Aurora was double what anybody was expecting. Wow. Nice. Um, That's if, awesome. that, if that translates at all to the race, this is going to be the biggest crowd they may have ever had yeah. out of 24 hours of Daytona. You going to get us some good weather down there, uh, Stephen? I'm sure working on it, man. I've, uh, I'm running back and forth between Daytona and the Mecham auction, and Mecham is over the moon because the weather's been so good. This weekend looks good, too. Uh, I don't think there's any rain in the forecast, and this is the time of the year. Those of us who are here during August say, let's just wait for uh, wait for December, January, and we can make fun of the rest of the country while they <laughs> make go. fun of us during the summer. Awesome. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll, we'll see you. you in a couple weeks. Anytime, guys. Look right. forward to seeing you all. Uh, so we just finished talking to, uh, Stephen Cole Smith, obviously. Um, and he had mentioned, uh, Mecham auctions without actually knowing that our next guest, uh, Dave majors is, uh, works at Mecham auctions and is checking in with us, uh, kind of at the beginning of the auction season to, uh, talk about how things are going. They've got their big kiss me sale underway now. Um, kind of the first day seven, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the first big auction of the year uh, every year and kind of for me a, a bellwether as to you know how the how the year is going to end up going. So Dave, uh, thanks for joining us. How are you? You bet. Things are going well. We're uh, we're here in the sun of Florida and having a great time with a lot of uh, very enthusiastic uh, car hobbyists and uh, looking at a lot of beautiful cars. Cool. Sounds like a good time. Uh, and weather's yeah. weather's awesome according to Stephen, um, which does not hurt you guys. Yeah, we've we've been in the 80s uh, pretty much all last week and this week, and it's just you know it's, it's kind of boring. You know, I come from <laughs> Chicago, and <laughs> there's just no change in the weather. It's just beautiful every day. <laughs> That's good to hear. So uh, this this auction is massive. It's taken yeah. uh, takes place over how many days? Well, the the entire event is 11 days, but we take one day in the middle. Uh, this last Monday and do only road art, road memorabilia, road signs and gas pumps and such. So we're doing 10 days of cars and uh, one day of road art, 11 day auction. And we are in the eighth day of the auction, the seventh day of cars. We'll finish up on Sunday. So how many cars are you going to push across the block this weekend? Well, this is our biggest and best Kissimmee ever. 
Uh, we have about 3,500 cars that are here, and they, I'm telling you, we have covered every inch of uh, Osceola County Fairgrounds here, Osceola Heritage Park. And last year uh, was our largest uh, Kissimmee sale ever in our history. And as of right now, through seven days of selling cars, we're running about 15% ahead of last year even. So this looks like this is going to be another record year for us. Awesome. So so 3,500 cars, what's a typical, uh, for those who don't know, what, what is a typical weekend? Uh, and Mecham, I think, tends to sell more cars than the average car auction. Uh, what would you usually see uh, across the block in a, in a sale? Well, we're a reserve auction. Yeah. Uh, so most of the cars that, that cross our block have reserves. And, of course, some cars, the bidding doesn't make the reserves, so they don't sell. So typically, uh, we'll sell about 70% of the cars when they cross the auction block. And then we have another, uh, another process here at the auction, as we do all of our auctions, called the bid goes on. Sure. So when a car crosses the auction block and it doesn't sell, we, we leave it on the, uh, on the auction floor or the auction lot as we are here. And the highest bid price is posted on that car. And you have the opportunity to, to contact one of our bid goes on representatives. And they'll try to work with you and the seller to, to come to an agreement, to come to a conclusion on the sale of the car. And we'll pick up another 10% or so just doing that. So, uh, last year, our, our selfie percent rate was about 80% here, which is extremely high for a reserve auction. And it looks like that's uh, pretty much where we'll be this year as well. Cool. So, yeah, Dave, uh, Graham here. Uh, just trying to get a sense of how the market's looking. Like Rory said, this is kind of a bellwether sale and part of a bellwether month with the big auctions going on out west uh, yeah. in, I don't know, a week or so. Uh it sounds like things have been going pretty well. Uh, obviously, the auctions out west might give us a sense of how the very tip top of the market is doing with the really, really pricey collector cars. Um, things seem to be going strong. I mean, you guys added a new sale this year, but I know a lot of us are wondering, it, it seems like we've been in a boom time for quite a while. Is that is that slowing down? Do you have any sense of, I mean, it seems like there's been records set consistently um, yeah. for almost inconceivable number of years um is that going to last what are you seeing i mean i know a lot of us are hoping prices come down on stuff because you know <laughs> that way we can buy it yeah that way we can actually afford some of it um do you get any sense of that or is it still um going strong well i there's a there's a number of ways to look at that um first of all i would say that we had uh, we have meekum auctions had we experienced tremendous growth uh, from about 2012 through uh, 2015. And then 2016 and 17 were, but we still had growth in those years, but it was a little more of a reasonable single-digit growth rate. And then uh, as we came into uh, 2017, we saw that pick up a bit. Uh, 2018 is a, is, has been a record year for us, uh, our biggest year ever. We held uh, 14 car events in 2018. Eight of those events set event records for that particular event, and our sales were up about 30%. So we're still seeing, if, if maybe the market took a little bit of a nap, we're seeing it just supercharged right now. But I would say I don't, I don't see that being represented necessarily in increasing prices. What I see is a lot of activity. There are a lot of cars coming to market, 
and that's uh, a lot of uh, big, well-known collections coming to market. And I don't think it's people getting out of the out of the collection uh, hobby. I think they're just selling collections and buying new things. And because we're seeing a lot of cars come to market, uh, we're seeing a lot of bidders uh, show up as well. It's it was typical in 2018 that we saw an increase for almost every event that we held of 30 percent in registered bidders. So it kind of feeds on itself. If you have more registered bidders, then people are going to want to bring their cars to the auction. If you have more cars to the auction, you're going to get more registered bidders. And we're just seeing that continue to spiral upwards. So the the, the cars sold at auction, it's still a, a pretty small percentage of the number of cars that change hands every year. I mean, a lot of sales happen oh. privately, you know, out of the public eye um, for everything from, you know, starter collector cars to the really expensive stuff. Um, are you seeing more people who have maybe never bought cars at auctions before dipping their toes into it, registering even if they don't buy anything? Like what, what is the – have you done stuff to get new people involved? Because I think there is a lot of mystery about, you know, oh, can I do that? Can I go to an auction? Can I just register and bid? Um, it's a little intimidating too, I think. Yeah. <laughs> are, are people coming on board who you wouldn't have expected to see, maybe younger people even? Yeah, we're, we're seeing um, a, a much higher percentage of first-time buyers at our auctions uh, than we've seen before. So the first part of your of your question is absolutely true. There are a lot of new new people coming into the market, at least from our observation, coming into to our market and to our auctions. But I think it starts back with just the general spectator that that comes to the to the auction and pays thirty dollars to get in, and never registers to bid, uh, just. You know, they're familiar with, with the spectacle that is Meekum Auctions, seen it on TV, heard about it, whatever it might be, and just want to go see. And, and I think, anecdotally, I believe that when someone uh, comes to the auction the first time, you come to observe. The second time you come to an auction, you come and, and you want to get a bidder badge. You want to feel like you're a part of the deal, but you don't actually bid. And, and when we ask people why that is, why do you buy a bidder badge and not bid, it, it's exactly what you said. It's the intimidation factor. I'm just not sure I know what I'm doing and I don't want to look foolish. But the third time you come back, you're ready to roll. And and I'm convinced, and we've seen it over and over, that uh, the new buyers in our markets have been to three of our auctions before they actually buy a car. So now as we look, so when I look at, at, at the growth in the business, I try not to look at the the growth in bidder badges or the growth in sales. I back all the way up and look at the growth in ticket sales. The guy that's just paying $30 or buying in advance online at $20 that's just coming to the auction. And we're seeing 30 to 40% growth in, in, in ticket sales. Here at Kissimmee, our ticket sales are up 30%. So that may take a while to manifest itself in new car sales, but that's that's an investment in our business going forward. So we're focused on the spectator. I mean, it's almost stupid not to to pay that much money. I mean, to see a huge collection of cars yeah. for as long as you want. You could get there at 8 in the morning and go until 7 o'clock at night or whatever and just look at a new car every five minutes. Yeah, and that's what we try to tell people. Don't 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 look at this as just an auction where you've got to be a buyer or seller to, to come to the auction. This is, this is an event. This is entertainment. This is a great car show. And you can come out just to the event and the car show, do the Dodge Thrill Ride, and you know visit the the sponsor booths over here. Go to the education sessions. There's a lot to do here, even if you're not buying or selling a car. 
So in the next couple of days, I know we've already gone through a lot of the lots on offer, but is there anything we should keep an eye out on? Um, I know we've been watching the stream in the office, kind of doing some remote uh, imaginary bidding. Um, anything we should, I mean, there was a the Harley Earl and Bill Mitchell Corvette styling cars look pretty yeah. cool. Um, anything else that people should tune in to watch? Cause well, it, it's, you know, <laughs> Friday and Saturday are almost going to be too spectacular to even list things off. And it, it actually, I think, starts this afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. In just a few minutes, uh, we're going to start a, uh, a collection of, I believe, about 50 no reserve cars that are all that are all great cars, and that's going to be a, that's going to be quite a run for us. <clears throat> and then, as we get to uh, Friday and Saturday, you mentioned the Bill Mitchell, the Harley Earl car. Uh, we have a couple of iconic hot rods, the McMullen Roadster and the Christmas Cooper here. Uh, we have the 67 uh, Corvette that's, uh, you know, single owner, 2,400 miles. Nobody's ever sat in the passenger seat of the car. Um, we have the uh, uh, the Super Snake GT500 uh, Goodyear tire mule car uh, that we we saw about four or five years ago at our auction that's going to be quite a spectacle. Of course, the, uh, the two uh, LaFerraris, uh, the twins as I call them, the LaFerrari and the LaFerrari Aperta, uh, that will cross the block, and then I think it's it's all going to culminate with the 1965 uh, GT40 uh, Roadster prototype. That's that that that, that car is going to be astronomical when it hits the auction block. So from the from the highest end, uh, that's obviously the stuff that generates the headlines and um, you know probably brings in a lot of the spectators. But are there still deals to be had at a Mecham auction? Oh yeah, there and and you know everybody likes to talk about the high end cars, but still remember at, at Mecham auctions, our bread and butter is that fifties, sixties, seventies American muscle car, and there are still you know plenty of cars that are that are bringing reasonable prices between you know let's say twenty thousand dollars to seventy thousand dollars, uh-huh. and they're just great cars. Is is there anything uh, this <laughs> this weekend or this sorry over the course of this this sale that struck you as a great buy or, or a car maybe you wish you would have bid on? <laughs> I think that's almost every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the ones that I think are really hot, that, that as I've seen the market, uh, the Ford Broncos, the 1970s Ford Broncos, the, the uh, International Harvester Scouts, those cars, it just seems to me like every time I see one, it's selling for you know, 10% higher than the last one I saw. And I've seen several cross the block here that were, you know, absolutely beautiful cars, looked like they were immaculately done, that that I thought uh, brought prices that might have been 20 or 30% uh, less than, than what I've seen some others bring in other locations that we've been at. So this, if, if people want to show up this weekend then, um, what, uh, it's, it's obviously running through what, Sunday? Yep, we'll be here through Sunday. And you can still come. You can still register to show up. Still register to bid. You bet. All right. So you if, can you can do that online before you come, or you can do that at uh, at one of the three gates when you come in as well. Awesome. And if you uh, if you don't make it to this one, there is probably a Mecham sale closer to you or close to you at some point uh, throughout the year. How how many do you have scheduled this year? Uh, we have fourteen uh, uh, car shows. We have uh, two. Uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, one antique motorcycle show and uh, two antique farm tractor shows. And we it, actually we'll we'll leave here on uh, Monday 
and uh, we have to be in Las Vegas a week from Monday for the world's largest collector motorcycle auction. So we have the the two world's largest both in January. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Check out uh, it's Meekum.com. You bet, Meekum.com. Check out Meekum.com for a sale in your area. Like I said, if you're not going to be at this one, uh, do register to bid. Uh, feel free or, or don't feel intimidated. They're, they will help you spend your money as yeah. they did with uh, Young Graham, Graham over here last year. They make it very easy to... Uh, <laughs> To, to put a new car in your garage. Yeah. So uh, so don't be intimidated. Uh, get out there and and obviously you know we always we always say that you know this hobby or this this pursuit is not something you have to wait for. Figure out what you can afford and and jump in. It's uh it's always not always rewarding, but it's it's more rewarding than not. I and think. and yeah, don't don't be put off by the record sale prices for the stuff at the high end. I mean, I, I think if you if you watch a stream of the Mecham auction. Um, you'll see a lot of stuff that you will probably kick yourself for not being there to bid on. Um, I, I think that's the cool part is it is still affordable for, for people to get in, even below that $20,000 point you mentioned. So, so yeah, check it out. Thanks a lot, Dave. I uh, appreciate you being well, with I us. I appreciate it, guys. Yep, and we'll talk again soon. Uh, so that's the word from Meekum. Um, it's good to see that some people still have money to spend out in the world and uh, doing it to buy cars. That's uh, that's good for us, I guess. A dream. It's, it's a, a literal yeah. dream. Well, not for Graham. It's reality for Graham. Graham it's actually does for all the car that he yep, bought at an auction. I can say I, I I dove in and bought the car at the Meekum auction last year and. Um, and you love. You seem to love it. You, yeah, I you actually really good call. I'm, yeah, and so. you and you might be driving it this weekend. To um, the uh, the drive home four. It's the, oh, the wow. crazy crew from LeMay, America's Automotive Museum. Mm-hmm. That's driving from uh, someplace down, and I think they started in Texas. Had a pretty pretty decent haul up to uh, the Detroit Auto Show, and uh, I'll be driving it down Woodward, hopefully with them, and kind of a caravan on Saturday. Cool. So yeah. so for the devout podcast listeners, you can see Graham. Yeah, meet, meet Graham. Yeah, if you can get to Detroit by Saturday. Yeah, come meet us. Uh, Sunday or Saturday morning, like I think we're all Maybe gonna we bring the Willies. Dri- yeah, drive down Woodward. You can meet us at uh, Campus Martius. Uh-huh. Oh, that would be in cool. the morning. Yeah. Um, and wh- where does it start, Graham? Oh boy, I I don't have this off the top of my head, but it starts yeah, wow. at yeah. Well, just Yikes, look up man. the drive really, the drive home. Gotcha yeah, journalism on on the uh, spot here. But hey, anybody can do gotcha journalism and make Graham look dumb. But uh, it starts at like eight, right? So, yeah. And but, by the time it gets to Detroit, it'll be. Uh, probably 10, 10 30, something that's, like that. So it's perfect. So I'll meet you down. Yeah, that's when I'll probably be waking up. And most joking. most of the cars and coffee guys, uh, your typical cars and coffee starts at what would you say four thirty, five thirty in the morning. Yeah. They're, they're already back to sleep by about sometimes two in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's a we're you know a bunch of slackers by normal cars and coffee standard. But maybe I'll come down. All right. Uh, bring the baby. Find a way to put the old. <laughs> actually, I'm not allowed to put the baby in the jeep. Anyway. Uh, Speaking of things, I'm not allowed to put the baby speaking in. Speaking of Jeeps, the Auto Week Garage. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Jeeps, would have been better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, regardless, babies are not allowed in the garage. Uh, no, babies are allowed in the garage. I don't it's know very dangerous that. sometimes. Um, Chemicals. But we uh, we've been kind of goofing around uh, trying to uh, to to get our head around maybe a uh, a, a small video series. A, we're not pivoting to video. No, but we definitely have pivoted to a video. We are. Uh, We've been working with our pals over at eBay Motors um, on a little uh, project um, to try to try to 
see if maybe there's interest in a DIY uh, video series for Model Week. So we have a pilot that we shot. Uh, Graham and Wesley and Andy are in it. It's on the site now. The first episode is on the site now. And the first episode uh, is it's just Andy and I doing some breaks. Doing break work. Yeah, you know, just a normal like a normal day. A customer came in, said uh, breaks a little squeaky. We uh, <laughs> shipped them up, shipped them out, made a couple hundred bucks. Uh, what, ate lunch. Actually, we didn't get paid at all. We didn't get paid at all. We asked. Uh, we did it for ne- borrowed, did it for negative. Actually, we borrowed my friend Spencer's Jeep. And put some brakes on it. Yep. Um, we nine, put 98 Wrangler. 98 Wrangler. Um, and we put, we just did change the brake, put caliper on it. Yeah. Rotor. Yep. Uh, pads. We so did both sides. Was this fun for you being on TV? This was my. Broadcast television live? Uh, this is my second time on broadcast television. Yep. Um, the first time was that news report, which we will not go into. But um, no, it was terrifying. Uh, I'm not a video person. Well, it turns out I think you are. I think you did a very nice job. Thank you. Uh, I think many people are saying. Uh, that you're a real professional and that you missed your calling. Well, I'm still young. Yeah, you could. I could uh, change I'm, careers. Get, get gussied up for the <laughs> yeah. uh, the silver screen. But no, um, I think the uh, so the breaks the the break job. Yeah, I think it went really well. Yeah. I think that uh, Andy and car I had, drives normally. Uh, car drives normally and stops better than it did. Uh huh. Um, there's more work to be done on the Jeep. Big old, uh, big old holes in the frame there uh, uh big old holes in the frame uh big old holes in the exhaust manifold, manifold. which is which is a common problem with yep. the, the four liter yeah that, motor. that was the idea i mean that's that's why we chose this car uh because the that four liter jeep uh, whether it's a cherokee or a, a wrangler is still a very popular kind of diy vehicle so yeah obviously we have access to brand new cars we have access to newer cars and we have access to older cars a lot of really old cars but this was one that I think, um, you know, the average kind of eBay Motors guy or girl. Um, or anyone with a smartphone. Could be conceivably, um, you know, actually working on. So, um, and you know, ideally, I think if this, if this, like I said, if there's interest in this, we'll keep doing them. And, um, and you know, <laughs> get to some of those other common issues yeah. that we're seeing on this Jeep. And yeah, the, the idea behind this particular video, one of the first yeah. three, was we wanted to show um, a straightforward job that had a bit of a intimidation factor to it. Yeah, brakes are um, a thing that most people don't want to tear into because they're the most, risky. Im- most important part of your car, right? Like second well, most size of the engine. Okay, I like, I like to go fast. I don't like to slow down. Uh, the idea was we we would show how to do the the job itself, yeah. but also um, you know there's a feature that I don't know if everybody knows about or is used, but it's the, the shop by diagram component on eBay motors where, you know, uh, I, I don't know what this part's called. Well, you just look at an exploded diagram of the brake system and you can buy parts from there. Yeah. Um, so if you're new to working on cars and you don't know all the intricate technical names to find the parts, you can plug in your car to the shop by diagram and plug your car into my garage and use shop by diagram to like find out what a dust shield is. It's all explained in the video. Yeah. It's, it's all, all explained in the it's video. All there. You can watch the whole damn thing. Uh, but yeah, it's, like it's five minutes. Like it's, I it's said, watch. I think, um, you know, if, if you're a fan of this podcast, uh, what we'd like to do is, like I said, if, if this has some interest, um, continue doing these and, and do some more ambitious projects. Obviously, we have some some very uh, goofy, terrible ideas, both personally and that, that we would like to uh, to kind of bring into this uh, garage space. So. Um, go check them out for sure. Um, I would say my, my biggest takeaway from this. Yeah. Uh, I cannot grow a beard. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it was very patchy. So, on camera. so here's the thing. If you like this video, 
go uh, go like it first of all. Give it the old thumbs up. But then if you if you want to see more, what I would recommend is uh, paying. You can uh, offshore if you Google it. You can pay uh, huge rooms of people. <laughs> to watch videos and to uh to comment and subscribe and show interaction it's not as expensive as you'd think um so do that google it um forgetting what they're called now it's a something farm but what you want is you know 150 250,000 people uh million plus views yeah liking and uh commenting on these these videos so that you the auto week fan can yeah. get uh more more uh goofy video content like i said i don't don't think we're going to get into um the the type of video the automotive videos um that you're used to seeing but i think we could have some real fun with a diy series so yeah probably not too many uh last minute thrashes i get to the car to auction yeah Uh, well concord boys is mostly what i'm referring to here so if you want to see faster boys and concord boys the two flagship shows um like i said go uh make it look like you watch that video a lot um, but I think, yeah, check them out. They're on YouTube now. They're on our site. They're on our site. Uh, uh, the first two are on our site as of today. Okay. Uh, and then there'll be a, a couple more coming. So, and if there's, if you have feedback, feel free to leave a comment. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, now, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of. Again, I'll chime in uh, real fast. Uh, those farms, the for clicking thing, I yeah. pay for a couple for my own Click brand. farm. Yeah. Uh, they... Oh don't like my content and they don't respond. Okay. <laughs> I've not got a single click out of this farm. I'm paying them 10 bucks a month. <laughs> Listen, uh, so the, uh, that it will not be your experience if you try to do this, but, um, actually one of the cool things that I, I should mention that, that we did do Wesley has one, uh, coming up, uh, where he kind of breaks down where, and similar to what we've done before, uh, a little bit on this podcast around the DIY issue, um, you know, where it's okay to, to, splurge a little bit on some nice tools and where, where it's okay to where it's a good idea to splurge yeah and where where it's okay maybe to skimp a little bit but we'll talk about that on a later podcast and it's i'm kind of framing it in my head i framed it in my head as how to start your toolbox mm. anyway um so it, there's some cool stuff coming uh like i said go check it out um and uh and leave us a comment or two uh tell wesley his beard looks fine it's fine wesley don't worry please, about it please tell uh, me that uh, yeah um but, but yeah check it out uh, I think with that, we're going to head over and cover a couple of drives. Of, That's uh, a good idea. Some Lamborghinis we had. In some there. Lambros. Yeah. Mm. All right. Wow. Wow. This episode, you guys. I cannot believe how well it's been going so far. Um, just the stuff that we've been talking about. Prior to this, do you remember that thing? Heavy hitters, man. Heavy well, hitters. Well, I, I mean, I just feel like we have a good uh, rapport going on this one, and it's been maybe probably the best episode ever so far. Um, so, except monster trucks, except monster trucks, best like normal episode. Um, so, you know, uh, keeping that going, I guess. Jesus Christ! What? <laughs> Nothing. We should talk about some cars we just drove. Uh, we got. Either all the same people, or we have different people uh, from the different segments. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it's pretty much the same, but maybe also different from the earlier times. I can't recall. All the people here knows where it is or knows where it oh, isn't, no. Oh, no. Yeah. depending uh, on which is larger. All right. So we uh, we're going to talk about the Schrodinger's podcast, Lamborghini 
Urus, is that how you say it? Yeah, but I think we should start with uh, I think we should start with Robin Warner, who just drove the Lamborghini. If we're gonna go Urucon uh, GT3 Evo, the Hurricane Evo GT3. Yes, full name Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo, which is gonna be on the cover of this next issue. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a little sneak peek. Yeah, pretty yeah. happy, pretty happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I drove the car that will make its debut. At the 24 Hours of Daytona this year, it's, it's a race ab- car. It's a race car. It's a real race car. It's a full-on homologated race car. Which Lamborghini is doing now. Yeah. Has Lamborghini is doing multiple things. They have the Super Trofeo series, which is kind of like their Ferrari Challenge, which is you know a single-make car you buy so you and you have it. You couldn't bring an Indy car and run. Uh, for instance, that is correct. You couldn't take a, like a rally car. And also bring, correct. Right. Yes. Is it the Blanc Pain? Is that the Super Trofeo? Is it the same thing? No, no, a, no. Super Trofeo. Super Trofeo is like a hey, come race Lamborghinis with other Lamborghini owners. And then what's Blanc Pain? Blanc Pain is a European endurance and sprint car championship, but it's not one make. Correct. Blanc, okay. Sorry. Blanc Pain is <clears throat> kind of like Europe's IMSA, sort of, but not as cool because IMSA is way better. Gotcha. Um, and uh, Blanc Pain is uh, pretty sure limited to GT3 cars. But uh, this was uh, a GT3 car. It'll be called a GTD car in IMSA, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the Evo part means it's an evolution of the GT3 car that's been out for a couple of years. And with this Evo, it's going to be um, licensed as a GT3 class car for another three years. Mm-hmm. And it was... Absolutely killer. So where'd you drive it? What track? Was it, it fast? It was fast. Uh-huh. I drove it at a racetrack in Italy, about 20, about 20 miles outside of Rome, called Vallelunga, mm-hmm. which is a crazy place because uh, Sector 1, uh, first couple of years, you have this long straight, this flat, super flat kink, and then this really high-speed turn one. And then you hit this big, hard right-hander sweeper, and that's the beginning of a series of super tight corners, except for a kink here and there. And so it's this really fast track to start, and then it gets really, really tight. So it's an odd mix of corners. It's almost like a less exaggerated version of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course that Formula One used in the early noughts. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, now, give us the particulars. Is this using like the V10 that we all know and love, or is this a different engine? Yeah, so it the car starts as a Huracan road car and gets lots and lots of stuff modified and changed, but the engine is largely the same. And uh, what was different about the engine to the Huracan road car was um, different camshafts and titanium valves. However, um, there's now been announced the Huracan Evo road car, Mm. And oh, uh, that also has um, titanium valves and a new exhaust. So th- these engines are very similar to each other. But that, of course, is before balance performance comes in. And before it does, this V10 makes 600 horsepower as the standard Huracan did um, That's before it was ask. Evoized. Because sometimes the road cars make more power than the race cars. That's got to be the case with the... The road version of the Evo, right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. The road version of the Evo makes 640. And I think the road version of the Standard Huracan was actually 610 PS. So were you the fastest journalist at this event? Well, I was... Who else was there? That that was, in some ways, the coolest part is I was the only oh, American journalist so there. So you should have said yes. 
<laughs> you were by far the fastest American journalist there. I, by country mile, man. Nice. I, I, I killed it. So I crushed were, it. Who else was there? There were a couple of Italian uh-huh. journalists uh-huh. Um, that were in different ways connected to a magazine called Auto Sprint. Uh-huh. There was a Japanese uh, journalist who was a super nice guy called Moto Yuri tied to a Japanese thing. And then um, the editor-in-chief of Top Gear magazine was there as well. And that's English. Yes. And that Charlie Turner is his oh, name, I, I know believe. Oh, Charlie Turner. Yeah. yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah, I know who that is. Uh, so you were the fastest among all those people. Possibly. Yeah. Well, we didn't, we didn't compare lap times, but um, I know I can assure you that I definitely was not the slowest and pretty sure I was the top three. Did you bring your own helmet? I brought my own helmet. I brought my own shoes and gloves and suit and my own Hans device. And in fact, I bought a Hans device in preparation for this event. Oh, really? Yeah. I had one I could have given you. I was going to, it's in your size and it. Well, gonna... it's it's fine. I, I have it now and everything. Plus, I am proud moment here. Little sign out. I was able to carry all my racing stuff and enough clean clothes. All carry on. I was pretty proud. Now that's that. cool. no, that's, that's crazy. Cool. So, how did you? Do you have one big duffel bag? Does, do the people care about this? Because I'm with, no way. As, as did you travelers. use the bags that I got gotcha? you? <laughs> oh no, that, the Hansa fights wouldn't fit in that. Did you put it in a suitcase? What? What, what was Rory's question? A, a separate bag for your helmet. No. Yeah, my helmet. My helmet has its own little bag, and my helmet right. became. My extra items, so my helmet like carried my toiletries. It was like your purse. Stuff. The helmet, yeah, the helmet so stuff was like that. your purse. Right? Exactly. That's clever. But if I could, if I could interrupt luggage talk for a minute, mm-hmm. just it's we hot, can get back to it. Hot luggage talk. Uh, 2018, 24 is of Daytona. The uh, Oricon had a really good race. The team running it won class, right? That was the G- Oricon GT3. Correct. How was this different? Except for more evolved, obviously. Right. So being the Evo, the, the big difference is we'll get to luggage later. I apologize, Jake. Um, Damn it. That this car largely focused on making it easier for the, quote, gentleman driver to get up to speed in this car. So they tried to make changes that made it a little bit easier to feel out the limits, more predictable, maybe just the tiniest bit hard edge, but still have the same performance. So they added um, they added some winglets to the front. They made some adjustments to the channels in the wings and back to make the rear diffuser more effective. They did some um, complicated channeling underneath the front splitter to try to make the car less pinch sens- pitch sensitive. And they also reworked the suspension. Um, they added more adjustability to the shock absorbers. And then they even did things like they reworked the roll cage so that taller drivers could fit in the car because gentlemen tend to be tall, I guess. And... Um, and some other bits and bobs like that. So it was basically a keep performance, probably improve it a little bit, I'm sure, but make that performance easier for the non-pro to get to. And luggage capacity is? Zero. Zero. Okay. Absolutely zero. Uh, my favorite thing about what that thing carries is a carbon fibered separate air conditioner unit that is tie-strapped into the passenger side wow. of the car. It's pretty killer. Well, and we were looking at the the picture of the steering wheel that you can see in the in the uh, upcoming, upcoming issue, issue yeah. and it has a drink button. For, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So drink dispenser, yeah. 
Yeah, this is this is basically the Rolls Royce of race cars. It's espresso. It's an espresso dispenser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macchiatos. Is but so the typical. So the big thing. Okay, what's the uh, paddle shift? Obviously, paddle uh, shift. What trans are we, are we talking about? It's a six-speed automated manual transmission. They were a little bit vague about exactly how, whether it was pneumatic or hydraulic or what, but effectively, it had um, it had a gear shift in the higher part of the steering wheel, and then the lower part of the steering wheel were two more paddles. That was for the clutch. And it was the weirdest thing because it's like, okay, clutch in, hit the start button, rev up, clutch out, uh, or put in first gear, clutch out. And that was it. Like, you know, you got on the throttle, engaged like an automatic. All the shifts were automatic. Everything was automatic about it except for engine start and putting in first gear. Getting in first. Yeah, that's kind of standard, semi-standard fare for race. um, Yeah, well, a year ago I drove the Mercedes GT4 car and... That was a little bit different with the engagement. You had to use the clutch, which was on the which was on the floor in the Mercedes, to get rolling. And once you got rolling, uh, once you got rolling, everything was automatic. But this one even did the rolling from the stop part automatically. Now, have you or any of you guys driven the Balboni, the old uh, Gallardo Balboni? Because that was the rear wheel drive one, and this is rear wheel drive, obviously, which was another kind of departure. I think I drove it. Departure. So I've never driven a rear wheel drive Lamborghini. I've always wanted to. You know, because if you're whatever, you know, rear wheel drive is the way to go if you're if you're racing or whatever. Um, but was it? Well, it's also, I mean, you know, GT3 doesn't allow all wheel drive. Right? right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But so was it, you know, better just because of its rear wheel drive ish? I mean, were you sliding it? Wow. Were you pushing it? I mean, you know, it's so it's so completely different than a road car that. I can't say it's better because it's rear-wheel drive. But yes, of course, it's better because it's rear-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Because cars are better when they're rear-wheel drive in Mm -hmm. general. Um, And the experience was seriously otherworldly. I couldn't believe how easy it was to go as fast as you could go in this thing. It was pretty incredible. You know, like, I, I looked at my data compared to their test driver's data. And obviously, there were some gaps in certain places. But, you know... Generally speaking, I could get to the same points they could um, in terms of lateral grip and things like that because you could feel it out. So that part was really great in it kind of similar to a road car in the sense like, oh, you can get a sense of the limit. You know, it, it, so the fact that you could get a sense of the limit, the limit was pretty much double what right. a typical passenger car would do. That was crazy. Um, and then for seat adjustment, I read something about the, the pedals were adjustable, but the seat was fixed yeah so the seat bolts directly to the frame right and uh the steering wheel tilts and telescopes that's a pretty typical thing and the instrument panel uh moves with the steering column yep. so that always stays yep. in the same place relatively and then the pedal box slides fore and aft on the floor as well so you found yourself because you know i've probably been in maybe five race cars ever or something like that and I don't think I've been comfortable or had like the visibility that I would have liked in any of them because it's always like this part's fixed, this part's fixed. I can't see over the whatever. I can't move my seat or reach the pedals. But so with all this, the telescoping and the movement pedals, did you feel pretty good, pretty comfortable? Yeah. like I remember in the Mercedes race car, you know, you got all hunkered down and you could see everything really well. But then turning left, you have a big A pillar. And then past that, the side view mirror is right in your point, right of line of sight. Uh. So I'm like, okay, I can't really turn left. I can't look ahead where I'm turning left. Um, in the Lamborghini, this was the first car, other than a Formula car that I've driven, that was completely, there were no issues visibility-wise. Uh, 
you know, as a as an aspiring gentleman racer, if I buy one of these, what kind of support do I get from Lamborghini when I when I take it home? Um, set up, you know, getting everything dialed in. Does coaching come with it, or is this the kind of thing that's more bought by uh, an established team that already has all that in house? This is bought by teams. As yeah, this is a this Mercedes, is a GT three. You know, pro. you know, Paul Miller, okay. Paul Miller Racing Team. You know, the right. guys that won IMSA mm-hmm. last year. You know, they bought one of these. Those are the people that buy. As opposed so to there's, this GT four car you drove, which comes with a little bit more. Well, even support. that, like, if you want lots of support. That's more of the super trofeo okay. type of thing that you you know that kind of racing, which is more horsepower actually because it's unrestricted, uh, no balance of performance to worry about, but um, a fair amount less downforce. So you know your your uh, your lateral your lateral G in high speed corners wouldn't be as high, but you know your straight line speed would actually be a little bit better. So I mean, all in all, the whole experience was. Super fantastic, and I highly, highly recommend becoming a gentleman driver so, because it's great. Speaking of things that are super fantastic, uh, we've got this uh, crossover in the mm-hmm. thing uh, in the fleet. Actually, I just saw it go away on a truck. I think most of us drove it. Also made by Lamborghini. Yep, probably yeah. less so than the Huracan. This is like an Audi Q7 with. You know, this is, let's put it this way. This is a Audi Q7 cake with some Lamborghini icing. Exactly. I think that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think we all got a chance to drive it for a little bit. Um, so quickly, the uh, the specs, uh, as tested, we're looking at $243,000, uh, base price $200,000, 650 horsepower, 626 pound-feet. Um, it's got the four-liter twin-turbo V8 that the Audis, that, did, the, that the big Audis did have. We, did we mention that we're talking about the Urus? Yeah. Oh, so we got okay. The, the big, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too okay. busy think, fantasizing about gentlemen driving. Yeah. Well, it yeah. Happens. Um, the yeah, it's it's the Audi V8. You know, Lamborghinis, V10s, V12s, right? But this is this is the Audi V8. And a, and a great engine, but like the Aston, you do, if you don't get that Lamborghini sound, it's hard to picture it as a Lamborghini. I mean, obviously, like I said, Q7 chassis. Um, Lamborghini shell, Lamborghini body, Lamborghini styling, interior, inside and out. Um, but it's not, I didn't find it scary fast. Like say, uh, I mean like the Trackhawk, obviously it's got more horsepower, but like, or a regular Lamborghini, you know, Huracan or Aventador, like scary fast or McLaren. It was fast, but not, I don't know. There, I felt like there was nothing for me on this. Well, it's kind. an SUV. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> you know, you're, you're 100% right, but you know, it's an SUV. And so it's it's a it's a bizarre SUV, but it's an SUV that gets more attention than yeah. any other SUV I've been in by far. It's gotten as much it got as much attention in the day of driving it around um, as any other car I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if by that metric, it's a good Lamborghini, right? I mean, they're supposed to be exotics that right. draw eyes. Um, I got really good at averting my eyes so I didn't have to acknowledge the people who were literally slowing down on the expressway to roll down their window and give me thumbs up. Yeah, out oh, the I was blocked in traffic uh, a couple of times. People yeah, you definitely, you have to be okay with people looking at you, like, to drive this car. No, I think no, you, you have to want Yeah, you have to yeah. want it, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing that I was noticing, too, but to, to your earlier point about the power situation, I'm sure there's going to be, like, 10 variants that are faster at some point. There'll be, like, a rear-wheel drive variant and all this stuff. But whether it's like the McLaren 720 
any other Lamborghini, various Ferraris or whatever. There are cars that you get into and have this like sense of, I need to be very respectful of this car because it can hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing like I did that. Not, did not <laughs> oh, feel yeah. that. No, it's no like, and, it, and in comfort mode or uh, what Strata, I believe Strata Street even, mode. Even in the hardest super core. Super comfortable. Yeah, I went down to Corsa um, and still... I mean, I was pushing it around our little, we have a nice little sweeper here, like behind our building or a little ways off of our building. And like, you know, you can hear it and you kind of just kind of use the wheel and change the sound of the squealing tires and doesn't really feel too dangerous or twitchy or, you know, it was good quick steering. Yeah, um, I mean, Audi builds great cars <laughs> and, right, right. And, 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 you know, Lamborghini put its own, you know, tuning on it, but it's. It's going to feel a lot more similar I mean, than I, different. I think that the interesting thing for me about this, too, is like, you know, I've had a number of conversations about this car. But since like the BMW X5, um, it's been clear that you can make any type of car that exists fast now. You can make a fast minivan. You can make and it's it's really it makes sense. Like, you know. People are like, oh, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't imagine all these fast crossovers. And it's, I mean, you kind of can because it, it's it's the same as a hatchback. It's the same as it's just dimensionally larger. Um, so the the wheels get bigger. The brakes get bigger. Mm-hmm. The suspension geometry is bigger. It all scales up. Yeah. Makes sense. You give it more power. Mm-hmm. And now that you have modern traction control, you can make anything fast or whatever. The, I, I think we're going to see more of these cars than than less. I mean, God, I think we have. We, I think we've seen them all. Is there anyone? There's going to be a Ferrari SUV. Yeah, there's there's going to be an Aston SUV that's coming, and they're all going to be super fast, and they're all going to handle great. They're all going to say great, great lap times, all that other stuff. But t- for my buck, and I know, and they're all going to sell like crazy, and they're going to sell every right. single one they make right. plus. 20 of them but they're not all going to have their own dedicated race race series and the urus is the urus is coming up with a global rally cross style talk about gentlemen racers talk, a single yes. make race series lamborghini urus i i forget the name but let's just call it super trofeo for the sake of argument and it's going to be like 60 percent pavement 40 percent gravel racing that's, five races. That's actually kind something of like I kind of get behind. If you remember, it's kind of like the first race in Cars too, if you recall that, uh, or, or Speed Racer, yeah, the, or, the yeah. rally in Speed Racer. But and to, and to just tie it in, when I was in when I was in Italy for the GT3 Evo, there was also an off-road course, which was basically like a little mini rally stage course they set up for the Urus, and I off-roaded uh-huh. an Urus on this off-road more rally stage thing, and it was totally competent, and we kicked it out. Uh, kick the rear end out a bunch and stuff like that and it was it was fun it so was competent. so i guess what i was trying to get to before robin changed the subject was uh so you have these hyper competent cars and like i said you know the engineering is there to make these cars do anything um and it's conceivable to think that you know in, in the not too distant future the fast car from Ferrari or the fast car from Lamborghini could be the crossover. Um, the electric Porsche. crossover. Right. Uh, the question in my that I can't get my head around is those cars, a crossover could fly, it could turn into a submarine, it could climb the side of a mountain, will never be cool to me. And I... I don't know if that's like me showing my age or or what, but I cannot get my head around like 
seeing that Urus, it does look crazy and it does get people's attention, it'll never have the same kind of presence as like a real Lamborghini sports car to me. Right. And I think I think that's I think most people would agree with you on that. I think that the nebulous of like cool is tough because like, is it fast? Yes. Does it handle well? Yes. I mean, it looks crazy, looks crazy, which is good, I guess. It doesn't excite me for whatever reason. I mean, if I'm and I've said this plenty of times before, like if I'm spending that much money, I want to spend it on like just performance. Like I don't need space or comfort. I want performance. But um, but I mean, they can make plenty of fast crossovers. Good looking. I mean, like Jaguar, you know, F type or F pace. Very good looking. Uh, you know, there's plenty of good looking crossovers out there. It's just for an enthusiast. I don't know what it is, but I guess the people that buy this car, right? Do they have three other Lamborghinis and they yeah. want a truck, right? Yeah. At least, yeah. at least three others. I th- I think the thing that that I couldn't get out of my head, and that's why the Huracan's an interesting car to talk about in the same conversation. Hmm. Every time I'm in an Huracan, I'm looking for the parts that they maybe borrowed or shared with the the R8, the Audi R8, right down to the the V10 engine fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not really. Like that goes out of my head pretty quickly, and I accept that I'm in the a Lamborghini. Like it feels special somehow, and in the the Urus, it wasn't special enough to make me stop comparing it to the Audi. But right, it, if that but makes it said sense. Lamborghini. Above I mean, the right. glove box. Yeah, yeah, much the wheel was Audi. It probably the, had the speakers switches. that pop up on the yeah, yeah. the Dash. switches, uh, the turn signals were all out. Which the door locks. Granted, but again, not, I mean, not a lot of people who don't do this job for a living care about that stuff. I, mean, I don't we can care talk about, about that. switch gear. As I don't much care as about that stuff at all. I guess my thing is I accept that automakers are using shared parts, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really phase me. For some reason, this wasn't able to transcend. It's like, yeah, it felt like they laid a bunch of Lamborghini stuff over another vehicle as opposed to using the parts to make their own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, mm-hmm. and I think that really cuts at the core of it because even if you drive an Audi R8 and then you drive a Huracan, they feel different to each other. Oh, yeah. 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 The, the Urus and the Q7 feel pretty darn similar and that's the hard part and i yeah i i mean i i actually i don't think that's the hard part at all i don't care about that stuff and again like unless you're driving them back to back it doesn't matter um and and i think too the urus from the sound perspective and from like the transmission uh gearing and all in the braking that does feel different enough to me to like to make it feel like a separate car even from like an s or SQ7 or whatever that does that even exist? I don't think that exists. SQ5, but um, it it's just the I will never ever feel cool in that type of vehicle. Like even even less so than I would feel like in a like a Chevy Tahoe or like a you know what I mean. Like if I w- if I was really rich and I needed a crossover. I mean, I would go with luxury, like the Cullinan or the a Range Rover. Or Range Rover, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then take my extra sports car money and spend another sports car. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's the Urus. We all loved it. Great car. Go buy one. <laughs> uh, competitive lease deals available today. Uh, get it in any color you like. Um, and with that, I think we should wrap up this incredible episode. You guys, it has been such an experience uh, emotionally um, for me and professionally to kind of, uh, reach the summit of a podcast and see what's possible for this. Um, so thank you for joining me on this journey, uh, today. Thank you to the, uh, listeners who make it all possible. 
with your Patreon uh, dollars and to our many advertising partners. Mattress King, everybody. You know Mattress who you King. Are. Um, thank you. And uh, like and subscribe and give us the good rating on the thing. Thanks. Thanks.